Romans 16, 1 to 23. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apennitus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronica, Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow workers, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Flesian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. I think I've just been shown up. Thanks, Francis. That was really good. I appreciate that. That was a hard reading, wasn't it? Uh, let's bow together in prayer. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, uh, thank you for your word. We ask now that you would help us to pay attention and to learn from you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Every now and again I hear people say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. To which I say, being a Christian is like being part of a family. If you don't talk to the family, if you don't eat with the family, if you don't meet with the family, then are you really part of the family? 
To say you don't have to go to church to be a Christian is really like asking if you have to be part of a team to play football. It is true that going to church doesn't make you into a Christian. Uh, But it's a bit like also misunderstanding the difference between football and golf. Golf is a game that you play on your own, whereas football is a team sport, which you can actually see quite a lot of at the moment. And Christianity, like football, is a team sport that the whole family plays rather than a solo endeavour. And I've got to say that turning up for church week by week is actually just the tip of the iceberg of what it means to be part of the team. Because it's much more than just Sunday morning. You know, there are the practice matches. There are the uh, practice events during the week. And we get a sort of glimpse of all of this as we read here in Romans chapter 16 uh, as Paul brings his letter to a close. Uh, Here's our chance to meet the team, real people in real places. It's been a long letter and it was written down as Paul dictated it to a scribe called Tertus, and he manages to get in a hi there in verse 22. Uh, Open your Bibles, have a look. It's right there. A quick hi from Tertus. In all probability, when Tertus finished writing it, it was carried to Rome by another member of of the team, Phoebe. which is probably why Paul gives her the official introduction he does in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16. Have a look. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at... uh, Francis did it. Uh, (laughs) Now I'm stuck, aren't I? That's really good. Um, uh, Chantry. Uh, Verse 2 that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. (coughs) See, Phoebe is part of the team. And you can imagine Phoebe delivers the letter And most likely, Phoebe would have read and explained the letter to the church when they gathered together. I mean, she was there at its writing. And you can imagine the people craning forward and listening and taking it in. The reminder of how in Christ, God has brought all kinds of people together as one. The rebuke in some parts of this letter that Paul's heard how they're not getting on with each other like they should be. And now I guess their favourite part, the bit where they're wondering, 
Does Paul remember me? Will he say something about me? A personal mention. Because they're all players in the team. Uh, when you count through here, there are 26 people that are named uh, and it's easy to get lost in the sea of names. Um, between the names, we're told what these people do for the gospel and Christ. It is there, little phrases again and again and again. And we should take notice of what they do and learn from them. And as you look through the 26 names that are mentioned, you'll see men, you'll see women. There are eight names who are clearly women. In fact, the first two folk mentioned are women. You see mothers here, you see sons, you see wealthy homeowners, and you see slaves as well. Uh, look at verse 11, where he says, Greet my kinsmen. This is Paul's kinsman, Herodian, uh, probably because he's in a household of Herod. Uh, he's actually talking about a slave here, Jews who are slaves, treated like objects by the rest of the world, but treated like brothers and sisters in the church, with their own personal word from the Apostle Paul, who, well, Paul's a slave for Christ Jesus, isn't he? They were all probably part of the house of Narcissus there at the end of verse 11. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. These are ordinary people. But the thing I want you to notice about them is that this team, this team that has embraced one another this team has also embraced Christ Jesus. This team is not an ordinary team. And whether they've got Jewish names or Greek names or Roman names, they're all there. Whether they're men or women, whether they're slave or free, I want you to notice that there is one thing that's actually holding them all together. Now look, if you're watching the footy at the moment, you can look at the teams and their colours and you know that they've got that one thing that's in common, that keeps them together. It's deeper than the colours on the jumpers. The thing that brings them together as a team is their commitment. They're committed to a group. They're committed to play their best. Look, I want you to have a look uh, through verses 3 through to 16. Cast your eyes over these verses because there's something that Paul says over and over again. That's the common denominator that brings all these people into the same team. He, he doesn't spell it out every time, but it's always there in the background and because it's repeated. Remember, it's one of those tools we use. If it's repeated, if it's said again, we take note of it. It's important. The thing that holds the team together, have you seen it? The factor that glues them together as a team, not team colours, not nationalities, 
is the fact that they are all in Christ. It's a phrase that we've seen before in Paul's letter. It's full of meaning. I, I'm going to give you a few verses that have that phrase, in Christ, in them. I'm going all the way back to, say, Romans 3.22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans 3.24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans 6.11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You've got it, haven't you? in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it just goes on and on. And here he is, right at the end, this person is in Christ, this person in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you? In Christ means that Jesus is their representative leader, their king, their master, the one they've enlisted to serve. These people who have been converted to Christ from whatever they were before, they believed the gospel, Paul's explained in this letter, and are committed to the gospel team. And so you'll see it if you look at the second half of verse 5, say in chapter 16. Greet my beloved Paniatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Uh, Asia, that's, we call that Turkey these days. <coughs> and this guy, he's gone down in history as the first convert to Christ in the whole area. In other words, in Paul's terms, Paniatus is now in Christ. And so are Adronicus and Junus in verse 7, husband and wife. He says, they were in Christ before I was. Ampelatus is in Christ as well. Verse 8, Paul says, my beloved in the Lord, Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, Apelles, verse 10, who is approved in Christ. And I could go on with Tryphenia and Tryphosa, those two women who don't just work for the heck of it. Verse 12, he says, they work in the Lord. There's Persis, who worked hard in the Lord, and Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Now, now look, I don't have to point out, do I, that if you're not in the Lord yourself, then you're never really going to be part of the team. If you're not a convert to Christ, if you want to keep your distance from Jesus, if you want to hold your commitment, 
to whatever else you might be committed to without Jesus, then you're not what Paul calls in the Lord. And it might look like you're part of the church, you at least show up sometimes. And sometimes you might even feel like you're part of the church. But you're always going to be like, well, if you take state of origin, could a New South Wales player ever be part of the Queensland team? The only way to be part of the team that Paul is talking about here is to accept the gospel, to actually be in Christ yourself. Have another look at the team here because uh, this is a team that actually works together. Uh, this is significant. It's a team with a purpose, a team with a goal, a team with a focus. They're a team with a gospel focus. They're a team who actually plays like a team, helping each other, encouraging each other, spurring each other on. Uh, that's what we do here at St. John's, isn't it? Or, or at least that's what we try to do. It, it's on the front of the notices. You remember the front of the notices, don't you? We're a team, a team who's proclaiming Jesus. That's what we do, isn't it? And, and we try to help each other. We try to encourage each other. We try to spur each other on. We use the words again on the front of the notices, to present everyone mature in Christ. Proclaim, grow, equip, go. Are you part of the team? That's what Priscilla and Aquila do. Back to verse 3 of chapter 16. Paul calls them fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They've got the same gospel ambition as we see that Paul has, as we have. And they even risk their lives for him. And now he says in verse 5, there's a church which meets in their house, which you'll notice back then was all the infrastructure that they needed to plant a church. It's a little different today. He says the same thing about Urbanus in verse 9. Ordinary guy there in the church in Rome and the great apostle Paul calls him a fellow worker in Christ doing exactly the same stuff Paul's doing. I guess in a pretty unspectacular way we don't talk about him today but there he is, a fellow worker like Timothy, down in verse 21, who's sending greetings to the Romans from the end of Paul's letter. Fellow workers in the gospel, co-workers, team players. <coughs> Men and women who work hard in the Lord, men and women who struggle for the gospel, men and women who encourage one another in the task, men and women who give their hospitality, 
give their time, give their money, give their homes to proclaim Jesus, grow in the kingdom, to grow the kingdom. Uh, Friends, I reckon it's a great thing to be part of a church that's doing exactly the same thing today. A bunch of people in Christ, working like a team for the sake of the gospel. I'm wondering, I am wondering, how can we do that better, us, today? Uh, Let's not rest on our laurels. It's a real privilege to be part of the same process, seeing many people getting involved. But how can we do it better? How can we live in Christ better? I do reckon that there's a few things we could do a little better, but to some extent it's the team, it's not up to me. Especially that bit I think about telling others about Jesus and working as a team. You know, to Paul, that sort of team unity is a very precious thing. Something to be encouraged, something to be preserved, something to be guarded at all costs, which is what he does right at the end of this little section here, verses 17 through to 20. It's interesting, back in Romans chapter 14, Paul says that, look, when it comes to matters of opinion, when it comes to the little stuff like, well, whether or not you should have bacon and eggs before you go to church, when when you think about Sabbaths, when it comes to stuff like that, he says, don't fight about those things, don't make a fuss. But there's a time and place where Paul says, you do have to stand your ground and do it with real courage and determination. And that's what he's talking about here in verses 17 through to 20. Because he says, there are people you have to watch out for. There are people who will butter you up, who will be full of sweet talk and flattery, guess what he says he says they'll not be serving the lord jesus at all they're actually not in christ (coughs) they're not teaching the gospel that you learned because the gospel of christ is all about unity the gospel of christ is more than bible knowledge it's about living as well And so if you're not serving Christ, then who are you serving? Uh, Look at what he says there in verse 18. And and keep it in mind, it's a bit of a litmus test. He says, for such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive their own hunger for power, their own desire for influence, their own appetite for significance. And Paul says, you've got to be on alert for them. Watch out for them. Uh, Back to verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who, this is what they do, cause divisions. 
and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. <coughs> what doctrine? Well, the doctrine that Paul's laid down in the letter. You can think about it, can't you? We've, we've worked through this, you know, the doctrine of the righteousness of God and of his judgment. Chapter 1. Uh, the doctrine that we're all sinners, total depravity. The doctrine of Christ as the mediator, the salvation. The doctrine of justification and sanctification, terms we've been passed already in Romans. The doctrine of saving faith, the doctrine of the law of God, Paul's given us all the basic doctrines here in this letter. This letter. Uh, look what he says in, in verse 19 to encourage them. He says to them, hey, you know what? You guys are doing really well. Uh, your obedience, it, it, it's been, everyone's heard about it, he says. I'm full of joy over you. But he also says... Don't be dumb. Don't be naive. Don't go on with this stuff about how it doesn't really matter. Or it doesn't really matter about the wrath of God against sinners. That doesn't matter. He, he says, look, um, denying this doctrine is evil. Now look at verse 19. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And he's really saying, keep away from the evil. It's important to get this right. <clears throat> it's kind of not rocket science, you know. I mean, I think we're actually pretty tuned to know when someone's causing division just by the way they do it, you know, whispers in the background, stabbing other people in the back, but never actually going and talking to them. The techniques of, well, I've got a book called Office Politics, How to Destroy an Office, but it's brought into the church here. You can spot it a mile off when discussions about an issue suddenly take a turn and it's questioning motives and creating a wedge and all of a sudden the team has got two sub teams it doesn't work does it it doesn't work and paul says don't be a dummy about this stuff stand up and be counted Call it what it is. Have no part of it. <coughs> Look, folk, uh, I'm hoping that from, well, when you get past the names, you've got to get past the names in this. When you get past the names, you can see what church is all about. It's about fellowship. It's about being together like a team. It's about embracing the team, women and men, the poor and the rich, 
the homeowners and the renters, the different nationalities, and the extended families, all part of the team. All part of the team because they're all in Christ. That we've all been saved by Jesus and his death in our place to pay the price for our sins. And now we actually live for him as part of his family, his team. And as a church family, we're part of a team who work together for Jesus. We proclaim Jesus to present everyone mature in him. Let's do it better. Let's be better at proclaiming Jesus. Let's keep growing. Let's progress in our maturity. You know, we actually shouldn't be the same today as what we were five years ago. What we were ten years ago. We should have changed. We should be more like Jesus. And let's maintain that bond of unity that we have in Jesus. Watch out for those who create division. They've got their hobby horses and they're vocal about it. But it's not about Jesus. They've got you on their side. It's not how teams work. A team with internal sides isn't a team. And if you're sitting on the fence and waiting to make up your, your mind about this team of Christ Jesus, uh, let me ask you to think on these final words. Because it's Christ who establishes us as a team. And it's Christ who builds us up as a team a and yes going to church doesn't make a person a christian but that coming to christ brings you into his church and you do play as part of the team let me pray right now <coughs> father uh, thank you for your blessings thank you for this team our team, a team of believers in Christ. Strengthen us, Father, to be more like Jesus, now and forever. Amen.